Last Sunday, we tried to speak to you out of scripture about Jesus' ministry, and the title of that message was Jesus Faced Wokeness. He faced woke. And we look at all the times where uh, the culture was trying to tell him what he could and he could not do. Of course, he ignored it all and he obeyed his Lord. Got really good feedback, especially from my daughter and my wife, and said, we want to hear some more. And I said, I don't know if I have any more. But as the week went on, uh, the Lord kept on putting it on my mind. So we're going to look at um, an account that's in Acts 4 and Acts 5. We'll spend nearly all our time today in those two chapters. But before I do, I'd like to introduce with uh, a couple of statements. And I want to give you a definition of, of, of wokeness. And I got this off the internet, and there's the place where I got it. Uh, www.spirittruth.com. While wokeness employs biblical vocabulary and concepts, it is an alternate religion, far from Christianity in both methods and its fruits, a potent blend of racism, paganism, and grievance. Wokeness encourages partiality and undermines the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. It is not simply not the gospel. It is anti-gospel. And uh, if you study it real closely, you'll find that's exactly true. As we go through and we look at different places in the Bible, you're going to find out that it was okay to preach the doctrine of the devils and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of devils, the doctrine of Satan, the doctrine of men. That never got the disciples in trouble. You know what got them in trouble? When they spoke the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, with that being said, let me go one more place. I'm going to use a very familiar passage. It's one I wear out. It's the woman that was caught in adultery in John 8. And I want to share this at the end of that account. It's John 8, 1 through 11. These are verses uh, 10 and 11. If you remember the account, the, 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 the Pharisees, all the Jews, caught this woman in adultery. They brought her before Jesus Christ. They really weren't interested in justice. They were interested in catching Jesus Christ. So they said, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do? And he wrote in the dirt, and he asked them the question, he that was without sin, without sin cast the first stone, and slowly they peeled off one by one. And we pick off in verse 10, it says, When Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And the point that I've made multiple times is there's two statements there, and to show love it takes both statements. Simply to say someone, I don't condemn thee, and just tell them to go on that death path is not love. But just simply to say, go and sin no more and show them no compassion, that's not love either. Love does both. In our current society, to say, go and sin no more, that is called hate. But that's really love. When she's in this, and I think she was a prostitute, to continue in that lifestyle, it was going to kill her. And not to say, and basically what Jesus was saying, stop it and stop it yesterday. That's what he was saying. And not to say that was a very self-destructive path. So it's actually love to do that. And that's what we face in our current culture. To correct someone. We correct our children. We do it for their long-term good. I corrected students when I was a teacher for their long-term good. 
As a pastor, I correct uh, and admonish and exhort members of the church for their long-term good. I'm not exercising my authority. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. It's for their long-term good. And that's an act of love. In Hebrews chapter 12, God, you know, the statement is there by Paul that if God does not correct his children, that is not an act of love. He, loves the, he corrects the ones he loves. So this is what we're going to talk about. So with that being said, let's turn in our Bibles and go to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read the first account. This is kind of interesting. <clears throat> Let me kind of give you the big picture. Uh, John and Peter were preaching, and when they preached, they were going into the synagogues, and they were getting quite a following. And as they were getting a following, the Jews and the Pharisees said, no, no, you, you can't preach in Jesus' name. You can preach, but not in Jesus' name. And they said, we've got to preach in Jesus' name. And then what happened was, is let them go. And then we pick it up in chapter 5, and they come back to the synagogue, and guess what they're doing? They're preaching in Jesus' name again. And then chapter 5, the record is, is they beat them, and they said, now we told you, don't preach in his name. So after they got beaten, they got let go. Anyone want to guess what John and Peter did? They preached in his name. Okay? So they did not let wokeness curtail their, their preaching. No. Why would they do such a thing? Remember the account we went to last week in John chapter 9? There was the blind guy that was healed. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders and the rulers of the synagogue said, Who healed you? And they had already determined if he was going to admit Christ healed them, they're going to throw him out of the synagogue. So much so that he scared the parents off. They said, who healed him? And the parents said, I'm afraid to tell you, because if you do, you'll kick us out of the church. He's old enough, go ask him. They threw their own son under the bus. So there was the people setting the standard, which were the elders. There was the people complying to the standard, and along comes the son, and the son said, Jesus did it. Why would he do that? Because he knows that Jesus made a difference in his life. And he couldn't deny the difference Jesus made in his life. And that's basically what's going to happen. The disciples here are going to come do miracles. And they're going to say, how did you do these miracles? And they said, in the name of Jesus. Well, don't say the name of Jesus anymore. We can't. We've got to. Because Jesus has made a difference in our life. Okay, that's kind of the overview. I'm telling you which I'm going to tell it to you. We're going to let Scripture tell it to you, and then at the end, maybe I'll tell you what I told you. Okay? All right. So if you have your Bibles, pick it up. We're starting here in verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now this is Peter and John. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in the hold unto the next day, for it was now even time. So they're in the, they're in the, they're, they're in the temple and they're, they're, they're preaching. They're preaching Jesus Christ. And they said, stop. They grabbed a hold of them and they threw them in prison. It was at night and said, we'll deal with you in the morning. Verse 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Ananus 
the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people, the elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to, this, to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. Guess what? Wrong answer. No, it was the right answer, but it was the wrong answer giving the political culture that they were in at the time. We healed through Jesus Christ. They wanted them to deny the power of the, the miracle. Verse 11. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And we'll talk about the head cornerstone and it being an offense uh, later on. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, let's, from a practical standpoint, in a pub, let, let, let's, let's set the back clock back and let's put myself in a public place. <clears throat> uh, and let's say a, a public school, and I think it'd be pretty easy for me to preach Confucius or Buddha or even Muhammad. Certainly I could preach Oprah and Whoopi, yeah. And everything would be fine. But what would happen when I preach Jesus Christ? I'd be hurt in trouble, probably lose a job. Amen? That's our current culture. You know, I've been thinking about that. <clears throat> Actually, Brother Shannon made this over in Atlanta. I heard him say this. And I knew it, but I just, it just never really hit me. You know how before we've talked about the doctrine of no absolutes? You know what happens when someone says there are no absolutes? What are you supposed to say? Is that absolute? To say there's no absolutes is an absolute statement. There's no absolutes. Well, there's a th thought out there that no doctrine. Did you know doctrine is a doctrine? Amen? To say, no doctrine. Well, no doctrine is a doctrine. And that's your doctrine. So when they say no absolutes, what they're really saying is, you don't have any absolutes, but I got the absolutes. And you can't use your doctrine, but you've got to use my doctrine. Just, just, just be aware of what folks are telling you when they tell these things to you. Okay? And we are picking up now here, uh, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus and beholding the man which he healed standing with them that they could say nothing against it. That's, that's got to be amazing. Let, let's pretend, you know, this is the synagogue and, and, and sitting over here in a, in a corner, a bunch of the elders and, and, and I'm on trial, and they came up to me, and, and, and there's a man that, 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 that was all his life, I think he was like, I can't remember how old he was, I think he was in his 30s, 35, I can't remember what that age was, but it seems like it was the 30s. And, and you all knew him, 
you were there when the baby was born. You were there when he was a toddler. You were there when he went to school. You saw his, his guide dogs all his life. And for 35 years, you knew this man. And, and come to church in the morning, go to church, you know, year after year, Sabbath after Sabbath. And all of a sudden, he's sitting there and he's standing there and he can see and the guide dog's gone and the white cane's gone and the glasses are gone. And he's sitting there and he's saying, hey, I like your pink shirt today. And they're there and they said, how did this happen? And you say, Jesus did it, right? But in this case, it was an impotent man. There was a man that was born and he was born lame and he couldn't walk. So mom and dad carried him in as a baby. Mom and dad carried him in as a toddler. And as he grew, he he couldn't go to school. He missed out on education. And the only way he got money was mom and dad had to set him on the corner right by the the porch of the church and hopefully people would give him handouts and he took ties all of his life and all of a sudden he's in his 30s and he's sitting there and he's sitting up there and he's jumping up and clicking his heels. And the, and the, and the Pharisees are over there and the, and the rulers and the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, how did you get healed? I said, in the name of Jesus. Don't say his name. And the healed man is right here. How did you get healed? In the name of Jesus. We don't want to hear the name of Jesus. I mean, it sounds almost preposterous, doesn't it? But that was the response. Did Jesus ever do any harm? About the only harm he did was he stole a few church members because his doctrine was astonishing and had authority, and theirs had none. You know, you'll find out. Look at the fruits and the outcome and the benefits of wokeness. There's no fruit there. No matter which way you look at it, there's no fruit there. Okay? So, they could say nothing against it. Verse 15, we're still in Acts 4. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they confirmed among themselves. <laughs> Try to imagine that church meeting. Okay, so we have this thing, and the, the healed guy is standing here, and, and John and Peter are standing here, and they're asking them all the questions, how did you do it? And they're doing it, and then the group says, okay, stay here for a little second, and they wander off, and they go back in the office in the corner, and they're sitting at the conference room, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We can't look like too big of a fool in front of the people. They're seeing that they, got, they, they know the man. They've watched him all his life not be able to walk, and now all of a sudden he can walk. And what's so neat about Jesus' healing, when they got healed, they did not have to go through six months of therapy. Amen? They did not have to have a therapist come in and strengthen their leg muscles. They jumped up and clicked their heels, carried bed rolls, and walked right on out. Healing was instantaneous. It's like when, when, when God healed a person that was mute or deaf. You know what they did? Immediately they started speaking articulately. I can hear all my life and I still fumble all over myself, right? And you know when a deaf person, all of a sudden they can hear the, the, the sound. It takes them a long time to get those sounds right. And it was instantaneous. And they're sitting there. It's, it's kind of like when Jesus calmed the water. And, and they're in a ship. What happened to the water? It was like glass. You know when a storm comes and goes, you know how long it takes for the, the waves to 
it's still got all that energy and it's sloshing back and forth and they get less and less and maybe in a couple days it'll get quiet. But it's not instantaneous. That's the way Jesus healed. So in the back room thinking, what are we going to do? Verse 16, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that are in, that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. Jesus changes lives. You know, this reminds me of a count. It was a long time ago. I was watching a boxing match. There was a professional fighter, a heavyweight named Evander Holyfield, strong Christian. I don't know if I've shared this with you or not. But he, he, he won a fight, and he was the champion, and he was the champion, of the heavyweight champion of the world. And they ran up to him in the ring, and they put the microphone in his face and says, do you have anything to say? And he says, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going, yeah. But the guy holding the mic wasn't going, yeah. He said, never mind that. What did you do? And he says, there is no never mind that. Without Jesus, there is no me. Oh, what a great answer that was. Well, that's basically what the disciples are going to say. They're going to say, I want you to just stop talking in the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, without Jesus Christ, there is no talking. Without Jesus Christ, there is no miracles. There is no comfort. There is no peace. We've got a nation that's standing on its head. And they're saying, the only thing, the cure that we have is Jesus Christ. They're saying, don't talk to them about the cure. You can quote Dr. Phil, but not Jesus. Verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Wow, what a good answer. Well, I don't know what your conversions experiences are, but I've shared mine with you that I was in a life in the fast lane in my 20s and Jesus came looking for me. I did not go looking for him. You know, everybody talks about you got to invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. I tell you all the time, the Holy Spirit was not an invited guest. He was a party crasher in my case. He didn't come knocking on my door. He kicked it in. And I share that. We don't want to hear that. I got no other story to tell. That's what he did for me. Okay? Verse... Uh, where am I at? Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above, oh, he was over 40 years old. I got this age wrong. He was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Okay, the, the facts were so prevalent. I'm still on Acts chapter 4. 
And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they were they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has manifest has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of his servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For of a truth, against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel and Rome, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to do. And now, Lord... Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants with all the boldness they may speak the word by stretching forth thine hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. So again, try to imagine it. The elders come back from their conference room. They come back into the synagogue and they say, I know what we really want to do, but we can't do it because all the people see it. And we, we, I know we're hypocrites, but we can't really make it too obvious. And they said, go home, go, but don't talk in Jesus. If you do, we're going to beat the tar out of you. And they go back home and they meet with the church folk. They tell them everything that happened. And they get on their knees and they pray and said, Lord, we've only got one message and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get rid of sin. There's no other way to have peace. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us that when we go out and preach the word, that we can skate around wokeness. No, that's not what they said, is it? Now, you don't want to be obnoxious. You don't want to hit people upside the head with a two by four. Remember what Jesus did in John 8? Showed compassion. He didn't condemn them, but he also said, go and sin no more. There's a firmness too. Well, how do you know what to say when? It depends, right? If it's militant, you'll be firm. If someone is really searching the truth and questioning, be patient and long-suffering, right? Okay, just a couple more verses in chapter 4. And when they had prayed, this is a prayer that I wish would happen at Mount Olive, church on Red Rock Road in Roanoke, Virginia. I pray all these things will happen right here. I pray we can be this kind of church and it can have this kind of results. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. You're saying, Brother Dolph, we haven't had the welding done and we're still trying to fix our A-frames. Lord, shake it up anyway. Okay? And they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Wow. They didn't turn it down, they turned it up. And the Holy Spirit was there helping them turn it up. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things that he possessed was his own, and they had all things in common. Verse 33. And with great power... He gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Wow. 
So when I read this, it's fine. I find it interesting that the world is tolerant of every doctrine but Jesus. But in the church, we ought to be intolerant of every doctrine but Jesus's. Because that's our peace, that's our comfort, that's the truth. Because believe it or not, Peter and John aren't done yet. They're going to have another interaction or two with the Pharisees. So I'm going to go to chapter 5. Peter and John's account does not pick up to verse 17. If you go home and you're rereading this, read 1 through 16. But to save time, I'm going to skip that. That's a different account. But we're going to pick back up with the interaction now. Okay? So I'm in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Okay, the reason why they were filled with indignation is John and Peter were back, and they were preaching it just as strong, with more boldness, full of the Holy Spirit, healing people, casting out devils, and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. I thought we took care of those guys. We threatened them. We told them we're going to beat the tar out of them. So it looks like we've got to beat the tar out of them. Well, that's what's it's going to go. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught... But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they found them not in the prison, and they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we happened, opened, we found no man within. Okay? Try to imagine that scene. Peter and John come back to the uh, synagogue. They're preaching gospel. They take them. They throw them in jail again. Evidently, they spent the night. We're going to take care of them and get all the, the Jewish elders first thing in the morning, and we're going to do what we have to do with them. So they get up in the morning, and they have their counsel. They're all getting ready to have this um, kangaroo trial. They send for them, and the guard comes back and said, the doors are locked. The guards are there. But we open up the cell door. They were gone. Kind of like Jesus in the tomb. He didn't need the rock, rock rolled away to escape, did he? Verse 24. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. And they came. then came one, this is my favorite part, came one saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then... And, God's got a sense of humor. They're getting in, the, the card comes back and says, they're not there. And they're saying, oh no, if word gets out, this is, oh, people are really going to mock us. And then another messenger comes busting in through the trial and says, guys, you won't believe it. Peter and John are back in the temple and they're preaching Jesus. They must have been wound up just a little bit, amen? Just a little bit. Now, be honest, if you were Peter and John, 
after being arrested once and then being arrested again, telling you you're going to beaten, and, and God miraculously delivers you, how many would go home? How many would go back to the temple and preach some more? But they didn't. So maybe our culture, we fake wokeness. You can go to other countries where their wokeness has a little more stiffer ramifications than we have, amen? We still have it relatively easy. But I'm worried about my children and my children's children. I am. Okay, where did I leave off? Uh, 26, thank you. Then went the captain and the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. <laughs> it looks like the officers were facing wokeness, amen? They were afraid of the people. So what they did is very quietly, they took them by the hand. They didn't arrest them. They didn't put chain handcuffs behind them and lead them out. He was afraid of the people. Peter, Peter, Paul, John, come with us. They talked them, they brought them back. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them, did not we straightly command you that you not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. I got news, it wasn't their doctrine. What did Jesus say in John 17? This, I think John 17, this is not my doctrine, but him that sent me. It's not their doctrine. Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. No, I think you did that all by yourself. Amen. Then Peter and the other apostle answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are as witness of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Verse 33. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. They'd gone past the beating stage and they wanted to kill him. God's still sovereign on his throne and he delivers them to an extent. Let's keep on reading. 34. Then stood up one in their council of Pharisees named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what intend you do touching these men. For before these days rose up Thaddeus, posting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain and all, and as many obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of taxing, and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many obeyed him, were dispersed. So basically what this... uh, a Pharisee, this doctor of the law, he says, if you make a martyr out of these two, it's going to spread more than if you just let it go and run its course. He says, my vote is you let them go. Verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. And that's true. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. 
Verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So this time they really did beat him. They promised they'd beat the tar out of him, and they beat the tar out of him. This wasn't a couple of... I'll make fun of my granddaughter when she gets in trouble. She'll say, I want mommy to spank me. Okay? This wasn't a mama spanking. This was a daddy spanking. You got it? Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. My kids are getting old and I'm running out of certain materials and I'm using grandchildren. Right? But this, this was a daddy spanking. Right? <laughs> and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And guess what? And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So I pray that this is an encouragement for us. What's the worst thing we're going to get today in America? Maybe you're weird. You got enough moxie to take your weird? It may cost you a job. Can you take that? For Jesus Christ? I guarantee if you lose a job and you've got to be quiet about Jesus, chances are you probably ought not be working there anyway. Okay? So as I go through this and I, I, I look at this, truth empowers preaching. Man's doctrine does not. It comes to naught. That's one thing that this doctor had. You know, talking about wokeness. Let's, when wokeness runs its course, it'll come to naught. It will. The only problem is our children and our children's children and their culture will have to suffer the consequences of it. But we preach Jesus Christ and we continue to preach Jesus Christ. Why? Because I know that's the only thing that'll give me peace. And I guess as they say in some of the martyrs in the Middle East, you're going to threaten me with heaven? Maybe I can get there one day. I don't know if I'm there right now. I pray it doesn't come to that. But I pray if it did, I'd be strong as the apostles. So here's an example where Peter and John faced wokeness And this is how they responded to it. Again, I want to stress this. Just as Jesus did in John 8, it's love and truth. Sometimes the truth stings. But again, if it's said in love, your conscience is clean. Amen? So I'll close out with one of my favorite verses. It's my go-to verse. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Let me read this to you. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. This applies to so many things. And I'm turning there right now. Okay. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keepeth the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. I love that verse because if you're dealing in a situation where financially you're being really taxed as a person or a couple or as a family, do everything you know how to do and go to bed. 
If you're dealing with a rebellious teenager, do everything you know to do and go to bed. If you're a pastor of a church and, 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 and you just at wit's ends, do everything you know to do and go to bed. If you're dealing with a woke culture or a woke coworker or a woke in-law or a woke neighbor, do everything you know to do and go to bed. Say, God, I've done my reasonable service. If there's something else I need to be doing, let me know. I'll be happy to do it. But as far as I know, I've done everything I know to do and go to bed. And the thing, I have to do it. Sometimes I'll go to bed, but I toss and turn for a couple hours. I haven't really gone to bed, have I? I might, I might, be, might be horizontal, but I haven't gone to bed. Turn it over to God, like it was yours anyways, right? Amen. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.